Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. While you're uh, tuning in this morning, don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you enjoy the content that we're producing here today. Two hours a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. Central. The Wake Up America show brings to you the best in economic freedom and personal liberty. Happy Halloween. And I'm sorry that the topic has to be so terrifying because they are so real. The battle for civilization. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, drops a piece in the Wall Street Journal's opinion section this morning saying this isn't only Israel's war. If Hamas and Iran win, you will be their next target, but we will prevail. And another op-ed from the Wall Street Journal's opinion editorial team themselves, titled The Global War on Jews, says anti-Semitism surges even in the West, which shows why Israel exists. We'll talk about that this morning, and then we're going to move on to a special guest. Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, the author of Operation Dark Heart and a spy who operated in the Middle East during the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq, will be joining me live this morning from Washington, D.C. at 7.30 a.m. Central Time. 30 minutes from now, we'll speak to Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer. And we'll talk to him not only about the strategy that Israel is, is uh, waging as tanks now head towards Gaza City, but we'll talk to him about the global information war and why Israel may be winning the war on the ground, but might not be winning the war for hearts and minds around the globe. We'll hear from Colonel Schaefer this morning at 7.30 a.m. It'll be a great first hour of the program, and obviously the topics will be difficult. We will be discussing conflict, and I would invite everyone who tunes into this show. For those of you who are regulars, you already know this, but for those of you who might be new and might be curious to hear what I have to say, I would like to invite you to have an open mind and to consider that on this program, we don't necessarily fulfill one narrative or another. We don't serve one interest or another per se, other than what we deem to be the cause of individualism, individual liberty, free markets, uh, and, um, and the ideals of American principles of liberty. That's what I stand for. And, and I want to ask you today to, to consider Aristotle when he said that it is the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. One of the problems that I've had with people who I like to call the cult of individualists, the cult of free thinkers, if you will, uh, and some of you have seen my multiple uh, debates that, I've been incur that have been occurring online, uh, as well as some uh, actual formal debates, and one which will be occurring as well on Thursday between myself and comedian Dave Smith. Uh, but when I th the, what I see is a confusion amongst so many libertarians about my positions on these issues, especially the conflict in the Middle East, because I think that the problem uh, of the modern liberty movement and of just Americans in general, it's not just endemic to the liberty movement, but it's something that we should be immune to, which is the inability to look at things from outside our echo chambers and our little bubble in, in that we can't look at a point of view that comes from someone that we despise and claim that it might actually have some value or some truth. Everybody remembers the Onion satire newspaper article that said the worst person in the world makes and actually makes a good point. Uh, and if we're going to actually get to some kind of conflict dissolution, if we're going to actually get to a place where we can get to where we all want, which is a more peaceful and prosperous world, then we're going to have to look at things from the point of view of people that we disagree with. That means that the people that I disagree with in this conflict, Palestinian terrorists, 
uh, uh, theocrats, uh, Islamists. Uh, I'm going to look at things from their point of view and try and understand where they're coming from. The problem, of course, with that not only lies in things like language barriers, but the fact that that the West and the East, for since forever, have spoken in not only different language, but just have completely different worldviews. And of course, that leads to conflict. And conflict is a guarantee. From the beginning of recorded history, when Cain slaughtered Abel, we have had murder and conflict in the world. And it's quite unlikely that we will see a, an entirely peaceful world. Although, if you look at all of human history, we are actually living in one of the least conflicted parts of world history, with the least war and death and disease and destruction. But of course, because of the media, my argument is, is that one of the reasons we think that the world is more conflicted than it is, is because it sells, it gets clicks, and it gets people talking. And of course, that generates a lot of ad revenue online. And that's you could, that, that finger that I point at the media, of course, points back at myself. I could be accused of that as well. But at least I'm being honest with you and telling you what's going on. At least I'm, I'm revealing the curtain. I'm pulling back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz and saying, hey, look, the emperor has no clothes. This is the Wizard of Oz is a fraud and a fake. And there are not many people who will do that. Of course, you won't see that on CNN. You won't see that in the mainstream media. And you won't see that in a lot of the alternative media. And you won't see a lot of people apologizing when they make mistakes. Uh, for the last several weeks since this conflict broke out between, um, between Israel and Hamas, there have, there have been disinformation campaigns that have been pushed by both sides. However, what I have noticed is that, and this is because, of course, I see them up close and personal because these are my people, is that is that many people in the liberty movement claim that they are trying to be objective and that they're looking at both sides as if they're both bad, but I don't believe many of them when they make those claims. In other words, I think they many of them actually have an agenda and are rooting for a side in this conflict, and they're not being open about their biases, and they're not being objective, and they're trying to, to both sides this thing when I actually agree with Benjamin Netanyahu in his article that this is a conflict between good and evil. Many of you who know me know me well that I am not a religious person and that I believe that all of the metaphysical claims of all the world religions are equally false. But I do not believe that all religions are equally anti-libertarian. That is an important distinction and I think leads to much of the confusion for why people don't seem to understand my worldview or the reason for the moral reckoning that I believe needs to come to the Islamic world. Much of that has to do with my liberal worldview, not a left worldview, not a leftist worldview, not a communist, not a socialist, not a neoconservative worldview, but a liberal worldview as envisioned by the founding fathers, uh, by envisioned by Thomas Paine and many others. And as I try and make sense of what's happening in this conflict, the lens that I use to try and suss out these world events and to bring to you what I believe to be the best information and the most valid and moral worldview, all of my worldview, of course, comes filtered through that lens of liberalism. Think of Ludwig von Mises, the last night of liberalism, if you will, economic freedom and personal liberty. That's what I stand for. I stand on the side of civilization. I stand against barbarism, and I think that all good libertarians should do the same. I'm tired of both sidesism, 
I'm tired of these arguments of moral equivalency about the powers of the world. And I'm also tired of pretending as if living in a multipolar world would somehow be superior to a world of Pax Americana. I may think that the American war machine and the military industrial complex goes too far, takes too much of our liberties, engages in domestic surveillance and spying that is against our civil liberties, our civil rights. And I can call those things out and say that these are unconstitutional, they are immoral, they are wrong, and we must roll back the deep state and fight against the bureaucracy. We must end the Fed. We, we, should, we should, like Samson in the Bible, crash down the temple walls upon us, even if it means necessarily bringing ourselves down with it to fight the deep state. But, but, because two things can be true at once, I can also say that Israel and the United States are not at a moral equivalence with Russia and China, that Israel is not at a moral equivalence between Israel and Hamas. I, I, can, I can have these two thoughts at once. I can see what is good and what is evil in the world, noting that while the United States, while Israel, uh, while Singapore, while, while the nations that make up the allied countries, the United Kingdom, France, if you will, the allies, uh, 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 the NATO allied countries at this time, they may not be perfect. They may make mistakes. They may initiate conflicts that they should not be initiating, but that does not still place them on a par with those of the former Soviet Union, with those of uh, uh, communist imperialist China, uh, and it does not place us on an equal moral footing with the enemies, the stated enemies of the United States. And these two things can be true at once, that the United States and Israel make mistakes, that, that they have, in, in many ways, made their own bed to some extent. But it's not to say that they are at a moral equivalence with their enemies. And that is the difference between myself and what I call the cheese-eating surrender monkeys, if you will, of the Libertarian Party. One can believe that the United States should try and remain as neutral as possible between in this conflict and try and ensure that World War III doesn't break out to the certain extent possible. But can I ask you a question? Was Patrick Henry right when he said, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God, or I know not what others may seek, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Ask yourself, is peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Consider this thought before you reject it. Is it possible that there is a a burden or a cost that is too high to pay that a war, for example, isn't, isn't the more acceptable alternative? Thomas Jefferson dealt with this in the conflict with the, with the Muslim world in the 1800s when dealing with the Barbary pirates. At some point, the cost of paying off the Muslim pirates on the Barbary coast in, at Tripoli, at some point, the cost was too high to pay. 1.5 million Anglos enslaved into the, uh, into the Barbary coast, enslaved by Muslim pirates. And when Thomas Jefferson uh, sent John Adams and, a, and an envoy to uh, London to parlay with the Barbary pirates, they, he asked them, what has the United States done to, to earn your uh, aggression? What has the United States done to the, to the Islamic world 
that has caused you to war with us. We had nothing to do with the Crusades. We, we have nothing to do, we've had nothing to do with uh, any of the interventions of Europe against you. We are an entirely new nation. Why do you make war on us? Why do you aggress upon us? Why do you enslave us? Why do you demand tribute? And of course, the answer that the diplomat of the Barbary pirates gave to John Adams and gave to the United States was that, well, simply it's because uh, the Quran tells us that we can. You are infidels, and we may rape, murder, enslave, and rob you at will because our holy book declares that we can. And the Hadith and the Quran, of course, holding equal moral weight, declares that they can kill us, they can enslave us, and they do. What is the difference? between Islam and Christianity and Judaism. As I see quite frequently from the critics of, of Judaism and the critics of Christianity, they say, oh, well, the Bible contains passages about slavery. Well, and the Talmud declares that the Goyim are to be, uh, can be enslaved as well, or that you can charge them uh, interest, but you will can't charge another Jew interest. Well, don't, don't you see all these evil things that, ha that are happening in the Bible and are happening in, uh, in the Talmud, for example? But what is the difference? Do they have equal moral weight? The answer is no. Why? Why don't they hold equal moral weight? Well, it's because the Christians and the Jews don't practice the murder and slavery the same way that the Islamic world does. Right? The difference between them is that Christianity and Judaism were blunted by the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment never made contact with the Islamic world until, of course, the early 1900s, when most people's history began, and they claim, well, if you look back to 1948, well, then it was this land and that land and all that. Well, how far back does your history go? Typically, for most people, their history only goes back as far as to make the claim as to whatever it is that their beliefs are, which is why I believe that so many of these micro-analyses of the conflict in the war in the Middle East, they, so many of these micro-analyses are so incorrect because it's impossible to look at this from an on-the-ground perspective between Israel and Hamas. It's impossible to say, well, you can, uh, uh, you can say, well, we have this many dead civilians versus that many dead civilians. We have this uh, uh, atrocity versus this atrocity. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't change anything. No one's minds are changed. Why is it that no one's minds are changed? Well, no one's minds get changed because, it, because no one is looking at this from a macro analysis. And, and finally, someone has actually written the, the end-all, be-all piece to look at this from the macro lens and use the words that, quite frankly, I wish that I had myself. But he's got a far better way with words than I do, and there's a reason why he wins elections. <laughs> and that's Benjamin Netanyahu, whose article in the Wall Street Journal is The Battle of Civilization. He says, this isn't only Israel's war. If Hamas and Iran win, you will be their next target, but we will prevail. And I believe him. Just because I don't want the United States to engage in World War III or to initiate attack, an attack against Iran doesn't mean that I think Iran are good guys. Doesn't mean that I don't think that Iran is a part of an axis of evil and that they don't use uh, their intelligence agencies and that they don't use subterfuge and that they don't violate the non-aggression principle all day long against the United States. They absolutely do. And I'm not naive. 
I'm not so stupid as to think that if the United States just withdraws, everything will just be peachy, everything will be great, and everybody will live in peace because the United States is the greater evil in the world, the great Satan, and the great aggressor in all conflicts, and that if we just, if the United States just pulls out, if the United States just doesn't, doesn't do anything, doesn't start anything, and just stop, and just stops with their harassment of us, with, with their intelligence agencies, that everything will be peaches and rainbows and unicorns. Listen, I'm not some queer for Palestine. I'm not an utter retard. I understand completely what the uh, goals of Hamas are. I know exactly what the mullahs of Iran want. They want a global caliphate. And we must, as libertarians, we must resist it at all cost. For I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the minds of man. Can I get an amen? You have to use the quotes of better man. Do me a favor, click that like button if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show. We'd love to have you come back and join us every Monday through Friday here on the show. You can weigh in with your thoughts and have them heard on the show. Send us a text at 573-319-1586. The text lines, again, are open at 573-319-1586. One listener texted in this morning and said, or... Um, uh, excuse me, or actually a friend of mine that I met yesterday messaged and he says, he enjoyed meeting me. It was nice to see you too, Doug. Glad to have you here and we'll talk again very soon. Another listener sends me responsible statecraft, which I have not got the time to read, but I will try and do that later. Another listener texted in and says, I would like to hear the debate. Libertarians need to start coming together. I believe it's ridiculous. He called you a racist. He's talking about the debate that I had with Clint Russell the other night who broke down and melted down like a little liberal female. Uh, screaming racist, racist, you're racist against Islam. Uh, but that debate, of course, exists online. You can read that on the Redheaded Libertarians timeline. Uh, and I do have another debate coming up at uh, this Thursday at uh, uh, with uh, Dave Smith, comedian Dave Smith. So that should be interesting. Yes, I agree with you, David Lee. You say CV Pacham Parabellum, the strongest defense is a swift and decisive offense. Exactly. Completely agree. Let's get through this piece before I talk to Tony Schaefer. He's going to join us here in about 12 minutes. Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, uh, author of Operation Dark Heart and a spook. Call him some, he's such a spook that we call him spooky. An American spook joins us at uh, 7.30 a.m. Central Time. Isn't it? I guess for Halloween, it's it makes sense that we have spooky on, right? So the article that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu writes talking about many believe that the promise of progress in the 21st century would enable us to move beyond the barbaric horrors of the past towards a brilliant future, that we could go about our comfortable lives and that evil will simply pass us. It will not. The horrors that Hamas perpetrated on, on October 7th remind us that we won't realize the promise of a better future until we, the civilized world, are willing to fight the barbarians. The barbarians are willing to fight us, and their goal is clear. Shatter that promising future, destroy all that we cherish, and usher in a world of fear and darkness. Netanyahu writes that this is a turning point for leaders and nations. It's time for us all to decide if we are willing to fight for a future of hope and promise or surrender to tyranny and terror. He says that, rest assured, Israel will fight. Since October 7th, Israel has been at war. Israel didn't start this war, Israel didn't want this war, but Israel will win this war. And just my own little bit of editorializing on this one, for those on the left who call, and the libertarian left who call for a ceasefire, or as I call them, the, the Rashida Tlaib caucus of the libertarian movement, 
who are calling for a ceasefire, first perhaps try saying, instead of ceasefire, perhaps try saying, release the hostages, for example, because if you have one of mine, uh, I'm not going to stop shooting until you release them. Oh, you might hit your own people, you might hit your own people. I will do everything in my power, obviously, to save my own people, duh. I ran a poll yesterday that asked, if you were actually captured by Islamic terrorists, would you want the US military to be deployed to save you? And I was actually surprised that it was like 87% of people said no, no, 87% of people said yes. Um, I actually think that's pretty low. The rest of them want to die, apparently. One listener texted in and says, now nah, we need to get out of all other countries and protect our own. Who cares what happens to every other country? That's their business. I would be sympathetic to that uh, point if the Democrats here in the United States would let us drill for oil. I would love to live in a world where the United States manufactured its own semiconductors. I would love to live in a world where the United States manufactured everything that we use on a daily basis. But if you plan on driving a car today, if you plan on using a machine that requires lubrication, not judge, wink, wink, then what matters in the Middle East matters to you today. What happens in the world, and this is my problem with libertarians, is that you can advocate for non-intervention and not want the United States to get involved while still recognizing the role that global conflicts play here in the United States and how what happens overseas actually does impact us here. Am I wrong? Tell me if you think I'm wrong, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all what happens over overseas at all. Meanwhile, let me go get in my car and drive to work, right? Let me go um, get my two-day package from Amazon so that I can come do my job here because I work on computers and I have a local computer shop here, but because they don't make semiconductors properly here in the United States, I've got to buy them from AMD, I've got to buy them from Taiwan, I've got to buy the parts that I, the part kits that I need from different countries around the world. So if you engage in international trade at all, and you're a part of the supply chain, then what matters overseas, what happens overseas matters to you here at home. And you can close your eyes and stick your head in the sand all day long. But I refuse, I refuse to do so, to not look at the world as it is. I can agree with you. An ideal world is where the United States has a splendid isolationism where the most that we really have to worry about is Justin Trudeau in Canada and perhaps cartels in South America, right? But coming up from South America and Mexico. I would love to live in that world. We do not live in that world. We have to deal with the world as it is. And this, I know this makes you uncomfortable, but if I'm not making you uncomfortable, if I'm not poking you a bit, if I'm not prodding you a bit, I'm not doing my job because I'm not making you think. Send me a text at 573-319-1586. Our listener continues to text. He says we can do trade deals and not be in conflict. Bullshit. He also says we have been terrorists in the Middle East for decades. Um, Semi-bullshit, but partially correct, depending on which conflict you're talking about. Uh, Afghanistan, no. Uh, Iraq, possibly yes. You can text the show as well at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319. 319-1586. Benjamin Netanyahu continues. He says, Hamas launched this war by per perpetrating the worst savagery our people have seen since the Holocaust. Hamas murdered children in front of their parents and parents in front of their children. They burned people alive, raped women, beheaded men. They tortured Holocaust survivors and kidnapped babies. They committed the most horrific crimes imaginable. Iran has formed an axis of terror by arming, training, and financing Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah, and in, in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, and 
other terror proxies throughout the Middle East and beyond. In fighting Hamas and the Iranian axis of terror, Israel is fighting the enemies of civilization itself. And here is the key part of this op-ed, and here is the part where I am in complete and total agreement with Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't always agree with him entirely, and I could potentially pick apart pieces in this as well. But in this paragraph, I agree with him entirely. He says, victory over these enemies begins with moral clarity. It begins with knowing the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong. It means making a moral distinction between the deliberate murder of the innocent and the unintentional casualties that are the inevitable result of even the most just war. Do I need to read that again? Because I really think people are having a hard time understanding that. I've been trying to hammer this into people's head. There is a difference between the deliberate murder of the innocent and the unintentional casualties that are the inevitable result of even the most just war. Does that make sense? I, I don't think that I could have made it any more clear. I'd love to hear your thoughts, though. You can send me a text at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu and Israel, they might win the war on the ground, but will they win the propaganda war, the information war? Many people say no. Tony Schaefer, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer will be joining us when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, rise and freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel if it's your first time here today and you're enjoying the content. We'd love to have you come back and join us. Our show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. Give us a like and a sub. Appreciate you coming back. All right, well, the conflict is a battle of civilization, writes Bibi Netanyahu in the Wall Street Journal this morning. We've been talking a little bit about the conflict and trying to look at it through as impartial a lens as possible while, of course, drawing a distinction between true good and true evil. But of course, many people out there have a much better perspective and a lot more experience than I do, which is why I work hard to bring you the absolute best guests in the industry, specifically regarding foreign policy. My next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, is the author of Operation Darkheart, many other books as well, and is an expert on Middle East conflicts and affairs. He's also uh, a columnist and a, um, and I guess what we call him a show, or do you have your own show on Newsmax, Tony? Good morning. No, good morning. I, ha I am a contributor, but no, we have The Hard Truth with Tony Schaefer, which is on the America Out Loud Network. Look, we got everybody from Andy Biggs to to uh, to Ted Nugent, so we've got a real poor potpourri of, of people we bring on. So that's you know, great. But it's well, good. I look to, for, I look it's always great to join you. Yeah, you as well, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us and bringing us your expertise. We look forward to hearing a little bit more about your projects uh, later on. Sure. I'd, I'd like to get your take on the conflict between Israel and Hamas that's happening. One from the technical perspective on whether or not you think that the ground war is the tactically the most effective way for them to wage this campaign, or if there's some other way to handle this, right, to reduce civilian casualties. And then I'd like to, you to analyze this from an information perspective, comparatively yeah. looking at you know, how so many young people these days seem to support Hamas. Can you start with the tactical perspective, please? Yeah, so the Israelis have begun the ground campaign. It's going to be, uh, it's not going to be the uh, storming of the, the beaches at Normandy. We know that now. It's going to be much more methodical, uh, measured. They've done 
preparation since I the first week, essentially. They started their battle preparations, kind of what I would call shaping operations since shortly after the 7th of October. And now they've uh, arrayed a, a specific number of te technologies that they're going to use. Everything from heavy armor, which we've seen, and, you know, hard to miss the tanks and APCs running around, as well as some way more sophisticated things like drones that go in tunnels. And then, uh, I, I love this, the sponge bomb, not sponge bob, sponge bomb, which basically they're going to use to blow up. If you go to Home Depot or, you know, Lowe's, you get those spray containers that you spray in your house and in the cracks and it expands. Well, imagine that as a bomb. That's what it is, basically. It goes off and it just fills up a tunnel. So there's a, a, a spectrum of things that they're going to use that have not necessarily been done before. By most accounts, Austin, it's about 300 miles of tunnels, more or less. I, I think it's a little bit less than that, but 300 miles. It's, it's a lot of uh, of subterranean uh, land land space they got to go after. Regarding the tactics beyond that, re relating to just the ground, they're talking about an area that 1.1 million people lived in, and apparently about a little over half, maybe a little uh, near two-thirds have moved out. There's about 400,000 left, plus uh, folks who are in the hospitals, and I would argue probably some of the hostages are still there, too, as bargaining chips. So part of their raids, Austin, have been going in, special operations raids, to try to retrieve people. And they've done a few. It's it's tough, though, when you've got that amount of space to cover. But I think uh, long term, they uh, are shaping the strategy as they go. There's been credible reporting from Axios. I do believe it's true that we have a Marine Corps three-star general there advising them. And he's going to advise them on how we did things in Mosul and Fallujah. Uh, as you know, we had some recent uh, experience in dealing with urban uh, warfare, and I think he'll be there on the ground trying to help them do that. Plus, uh, full disclosure, I think we're going to be giving them a great deal of, of weapons. I think we've already given them the, the GBU-37, which is the bunker buster. I think they've been using those to knock down some buildings, as well as some other weapon systems. So I think uh, my prognosis is it's going to take them a year to, 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 to do this at the pace they're going now. That is to say, if they keep the current pace, being very methodical, very cautious, kind of going in, nibbling away at the thing, it's going to take them about a year. I don't know if they'll continue this pace because it seems like uh, BB Netanyahu has a lot of pressure to quote unquote do more from his side. But I think uh, so far, I, it indicates that they're going to be they're not going to just rush in and just try to take the terrain. Now on the on the information side, yeah, please. So the Israelis actually going after Hamas on this as well. They, they've penetrated their networks. They've shut off communications. And Austin, this is one of the lessons of war. Never shut off all the communications to, of your adversary. You don't want to do that. You want them to, to pop up and start communicating so you see how they kind of reorganize and then reconstitute themselves. And then the other thing they've been doing is, I guess, penetrating their their um, texting stream and messaging them. You know, I mean, it's 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 war, information war. And so they're, they're, the Israelis are actually doing that on the battlefield as well. But at the, at the strategic level, Hamas has been masterful at trying to, you know, do the Jedi mind trick. Nothing to see here. The attack on 7 October didn't happen. Uh, no, we didn't rape women. It was all military. And you've got people in the mainstream media picking up and running with it. And it's, it's, it's atrocious. And I don't get it because you and I... Look, I, you know, I lean libertarian. I, I, I'm a big... I don't like going to war. I don't think it's necessary. But man, if someone comes and, and, and kicks you in the mouth and said they're going to kill you, you got to do something to respond. And I and I think, by all accounts, 7 October did happen. 
It was as severe as it appeared. Uh, the war crimes that happened were were horrific. And the idea here is that the the left, progressive left, to include the Biden White House, are, are quietly trying to push for this quote unquote ceasefire. And by doing that, they're trying to push not only the, the usual suspects, the progressive left, uh, the Rubens and the Malcolm Nances of the world who, you know, live in their alternate universe where, you know, Putin is the ultimate boogeyman and everything revolves around Russia, Russia, Russia. You know, it's those it's that crowd now who's turned turned over and said, oh, no, you know, we've got to be uh, more supportive of, of Hamas's right to exist. Hamas's right to exist should not uh, be a focus by the fact that they are an extension of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is an organization which has spawned ISIS, Al Qaeda, and a number of other very severe offshoots, uh, Al Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula, all this other stuff. And the goal of Hamas, the goal of the Muslim Brotherhood, is to remove anyone from the planet, that is to say, genocide, who does not believe their very severe, very limited view of the Islamic faith. That includes other Muslims. So I, I find it ironic, uh, Austin, that. Some of the people here who are most ardent supporters of uh, Hamas would be the first ones uh, uh, put into gas chambers or put up against the wall and murdered. Yeah, the LGBTQ. Yeah, I mean, it's like they they would murder you. I mean, they have no interest in homosexuality or acceptance. It's like yeah. this is Tony, the most severe. Seems, Tony, it yeah, also ahead, seems that. The, sorry to interrupt you, uh, uh, Colonel. Yeah. But it seems as if the that you know the people who are the most stridently anti-war here in the United States are also sort of falling into that leftist camp and making the mistake in believing that somehow the deep state and the Pentagon and that the Biden administration, these people really are pro-Israel. But from what I understand, and at least the, the sources that I have, Colonel, they hate Israel. I mean, there have been yeah. struggle sessions at the Pentagon for quite some time. I mean, going back to Bill Clinton. Like the deep state, the establishment, they don't like the Jews. No, no, the deep state actually, I think, sides more with the chaos of the of the of, of what we see regarding the Middle East. And this is the thing that I, I've been trying to explain to people because I got this question on an earlier radio show, and I've been trying to explain it to my son who's seventeen. The region, the 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 area we're talking about, has been disputed for thousands of years. It, it is it is. Remember that, you, you know that song, We Didn't Start the Fire, Billy Joel? We didn't start the fire, but we're in the middle of it now. And uh, to understand the modern context of why we're at where we're at, I, I recommend people go out, go back and watch Lawrence of Arabia. It's a great movie about it by itself, but it has great a great framing of what happened. And essentially, we can blame the British. The British set up the conflict for what it is. Basically, in 1917, uh, Sykes-Picot, these two, this British and French guy, decided to cover, carve up the Middle East, and they overpromised and way under-delivered in that they, they, they promised the Palestinians and the Jews the same land. So it's like, okay, we're going to have a problem here, and we do. So, you know, I try to refer people to like, go educate yourself. Go figure things out. Think about it before you take a side. Now, uh, I I believe that for better or for worse, as much as no country's perfect, our country's not perfect. Look, we've you've, you and I have talked about mistakes our country's made, and, and nobody's perfect. But we we try to our best to be civilized. I was explaining to my son this morning civilization versus chaos, and it's like uh, I defend the framework that gives us the ability to debate. That's my interest. 
Uh, I try not to take political sides, although I get pulled into things. We all do. But I'm just saying my interest is maintaining the stability, prosperity, and a path forward for people to have the space to debate and dis disagree. The other side doesn't want to have any disagreement. They want you to think along their terms. So that, that I'm, this is a long way back to your point regarding progressives and the deep state. Progressives in the deep state don't support free speech. So the very concept of what we're talking about is anathema to, the, to their existence, and therefore they side with Hamas. Because Hamas wants to be the same, have the same thing as they do. It's, so, you know. Tony, you brought up Sykes-Picot back in 1917, you know, Britain yeah. redrawing the map of the Middle East. You know, that wasn't yeah. just because they were, you know, trying to create some kind of a peaceful, stable Middle East. It, no. it had a lot more to do with the fact that that we realized, specifically during World War One, just how important the, tra the trade between the Suez Canal was and how important that black gold was in the yeah. Middle East. I mean, when you're having a world war, that stuff becomes quite important. And then you know, an Islamic world that had mostly remained out of contact with the enlightened world, if we might call it that, the civilized world, suddenly we find ourselves in a global conflict with, with Islam. And then, you know, of course, 100 years before that, Thomas Jefferson and the Barbary Wars and the Tripolitan right. pirates. But I'm what, right. I, what I'm really, my problem is, is that I see so many people, they really want to try and stick their heads in the sand, so many people on our side, and pretend like this isn't our problem, this isn't our conflict. I'd like to believe that as well. I wish that we lived in a Donald Trump world where we were energy independent and we didn't have to worry about the fact that Biden has spent our strategic petroleum reserves down to almost nothing. But if I plan on driving a car today, then I have an interest in what's happening over there. Right. Absolutely. And I'm glad you framed it that way. So I've got a degree in environmental studies at Rice State University right here. I, you know, I got literally got the T-shirt and um, there's no global uh, energy crisis. There's no green. There, there's no there's nothing that about to end civilization because of fossil fuel. Fossil fuel renews itself. It's not it's not for the dinosaurs. The earth itself creates hydrocarbons, which become what we use as fuel. It's renewable. So. First off, the, the the very debate on this needs to be reframed to the fact that, yeah, we've got plenty of fuel. Secondly, to your point, the United States has the most abundant resources based on our ability to, to use technology to basically go into full production anywhere from the Anwar in Alaska all the way down to Texas and just basically flood the market, drop the price, Austin, from what it is now to a buck fifty a gallon. Our economy would soar. And the very people we're talking about trying to, to get at would be defunded. You'd be defunding the Iranians. You'd be defunding the Saudis. You'd defund, if you don't like Putin, you defund Putin's war. But they don't want to hear this because they are so committed to this green energy dream, this, this, this green, basically, uh, green is the new red. It's the new Marxist uh, ideology reframed for the 21st century. But yes, my, my point being, even though we could outproduce everybody else, much of the rest of the world depends on Middle Eastern oil. And the issues relating to Sykes-Picot, the, uh, the carving up of the Ottoman Empire, all these things created the conditions for Iraq, Syria, Jordan, uh, our entry multiple times into the Middle East, because we do have an economic and global security interest in the resources in the region. Do I believe we should be there in the force we are right now? No. Uh, you know, I, I talked to former chairman Joe Dunford when Joe was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Dunford. He didn't think we should be in Syria any any more than we had to, to, to eliminate ISIS, because what happens when you have troops wandering around in open spaces? They start looking for things to do. We start nation building. And we know that that does not work. It is not in our interest to do that. With that said, 
to to work with our allies regarding security is a wise thing to do. And for better or for worse, the Abraham Accords were moving everything in the right direction. Speaking to Trump, uh, I had worked with the Trump administration with Mike 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 Pompeo and Mike Flynn on this early on, and the idea was to bring people together on the Arab side at least to step away from those conflicts created by Sykes Pico by the 1917 agreements and start looking at how they can create a condominium of inter- of overlapping economic and military interests to work together. That, to me, that's the best solution going forward. We don't want to defend you. You figure out your own collective security and, and we'll help you do that. So that, to me, is a solution. We were going in the right direction. And again, I think part of this, and I don't want to blame the Biden administration, but the fact the Biden administration has not sought any real follow-up to the uh, agreement and have been favoring the Iranians more than anyone else in the region. And now, at a time when I think they should be jumping in with uh, the Israelis to help them, they're part of the messaging against Israel behind the scenes. And so it's a, it's a real bad thing that Biden and company are, are being seen, and I think rightfully so, is supporting Hamas more than the Israelis at this point. Tony, I, um, and this will be my last uh, question, and then I'd like to, to hear yeah. about your, your projects. Uh, I, I was admittedly a big critic of Donald Trump in 2016 when I campaigned for president as a libertarian uh, against him, mostly because- and God bless you for, for doing what you did. I, I appreciate you running, so it's great. Yeah, yeah thank you. And, and uh, mostly because I wanted to conduct a public service, but also because I didn't trust him because of many of the comments and statements he had made. He has since won me over during his administration. It wasn't yeah. the, it wasn't the most libertarian presidential uh, uh, president ever, but it was, certainly has been- one of the most in my lifetime, if probably not the most in terms of policy, specifically foreign policy. And we can all nitpick when it comes to foreign policy. But I have to wonder, Tony, if you perhaps don't agree with me that perhaps many of these conflicts, Russia, Ukraine, perhaps Israel, Hamas, maybe many of these conflicts would be much better mediated if Donald Trump were still president right now. Do you agree with me that that might be the case? Absolutely. Look, he came in with the idea of mediating and trying to resolve things, not keep them going. Austin, the deep state and other uh, professional professional policymakers all uh, are focused on the process, not the solution. The process is what pays them. They, it, the moment you resolve something, it's like you lose your job. Trump didn't believe in that, nor do I. I mean, and that's why he had people like me in. You know, I I was a Trump. I was national security advisor to Trump 2020, and we would provide completely different views than the mainstream because our ideas were like, let's end this thing, let's resolve this, let's not. Let's not just keep the process going for so everybody has phony baloney jobs, to quote the uh, Governor Lepetamain from uh, Blazing Saddles. But that's what they do. They want to keep the process going. And Trump didn't see it that way. And yeah, he, Trump would listen to people like Mike Pompeo and me and others. And I know my, people see Mike as a, as a neocon and maybe he is a little bit. But I'm saying that people were at least open to the idea of resolving things, so bringing people together to create real conditions to resolve it. And then play hardball when you had to, assassinating Soleimani was a necessary thing to do. The, the Soleimani and the Iranians were killing people on the battlefield. Uh, Operation Dark Heart, you mentioned, there's a two, there's two chapters uh, dedicated, Austin, to our interrogation of an IRGC, a Kutz Force uh, enabler, who was funding the insurgency against us in 2003 in, Af- in Afghanistan. Think about that. So, you know, these guys are bad, and they try to kill Americans. I, you know, I get that they they believe we shouldn't be there, but they're still engaged in the operations against us. I remember that. That's I actually I got to read the I got to read the unredacted copy of it. Before That's right. Obama, you know all the facts then. That's yeah. right. Before the Obama administration got their hands all over it, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we 
let you go today. So um, we're doing Project Sentinel, which is replacing London Center for Policy Research. Uh, it's going to be focused on all the things you and I love, Constitution, uh, limited government, uh, focused and effective policies, a, a an effective, not expensive defense, all the things we stand for. Is I think conservative-leaning, libertarian-leaning, I don't know what's like, what is it, peanut butter or chocolate? It's like conservative-leaning, libertarians, libertarians-leaning, conservative, but anyway, it's focused on the issues you and I like. So hopefully people check it out. Uh, it's... um projectsignal.com. So check us out. Tony, you're doing a great service for the American people. Thank you very much for your clarity uh, on the tactical issues, but also thank you for your moral clarity as well. It's more needed thank than you. anything else. Thanks, Austin. It was great to join you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. Take care, Tony. That's Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, what did you think? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Boy, that's good stuff. That's heady stuff. That's some big brain stuff there, right there. Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer, if you haven't read his books, definitely check them out. You can get them at many fine bookstores. What are your thoughts? Do you agree, disagree with what the colonel had to say here today? You can text the show at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. Now's a good time for me to remind you that over at ap4libertyshop.com, we've got a delicious coffee brand that I'm trying to share with everyone because I love coffee. And if you are a coffee lover, then you need to come back from the dead. If you're feeling like you need to wake from the dead, uh, then join us over at ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, and enjoy some delicious founding flavors coffee, which you can get exclusively at ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, AP4LibertyShop.com. Get yourself some delicious Thomas's Painkiller Coffee. That's my favorite of all of them, but we've everybody has a different favorite. My top three, Thomas's Painkiller. That's the Columbi Colombian single origin. Uh, Franklin's Electric Elixir. That's a medium roast. And then Jeffersonian Java, which is a light roast. And that's what I'm drinking today, Jeffersonian Java. If you're a coffee lover, then this is the coffee for you. If you've never had a good premium coffee before, you've always just been like, you know, a regular coffee drinker or an instant coffee drinker, or what have you. Today is the day that I'm going to change your life because this coffee is so damn good that if you don't like it, I will accept it back. I will, I will pay you back for it. You just have to send your unused portion to me. So use a cup of it. You hate it send it back to me. Okay, I'll accept it back and refund your money. That's how confident I am that this is the best coffee in the world. And you can only get it at one place. And that's at ap4libertyshop.com. Now, the great thing about AP for Liberty Shop, our merch store, and like today, we're like sales are actually going crazy. For some reason, I think Google is just favoring us for whatever reason. We've got don't tread on me t shirts, we've got don't tread on me cell phone cases, we've got all your liberty and conservative uh, uh, gear that you could want shirts, cases, keychains, you know, machine gun keychains, uh, everything in there is hand selected or made by either myself or my wife, Stephanie. So if you enjoy any of the products that you see over there, remember, you're supporting a small business. It's just me and my wife, Stephanie running the Wake Up America show. We run the Wake Up America show and we run our little coffee brand and we run our merch shop. And we hope to God that we'll continue to get enough advertisers and enough monthly subscribers on the show selling enough coffee uh, for us to be able to stay in business and continue to bring you a, a talk show like this. Very briefly, before I go, we're going to change subjects entirely. I'm going to speak to Camelia Peterson about some fun and some funny stuff. And then we've got a new guest 
uh, a new libertarian lady to the show to add to the lineup, Courtney Nill, who'll be joining us a little bit later as well. But Stephanie and I were watching, Stephanie, my wife, if you're new, and I were watching a podcast last night talking about uh, Joe Rogan and how he changed podcasting. And it was being critical of Joe Rogan. And and uh, we were just kind of listening to their critique of the Rogan podcast and how he's kind of, how it's kind of like Hollywood has sort of taken over podcasting to an extent, right? And we are so the opposite of Hollywood, right? We are, you know, just a two-person operation, one man and one woman, husband and wife. But what I thought was interesting about it was they talked about how much content Joe Rogan puts out. And she goes, oh my gosh, he puts out so much content. She goes, my wife goes, Joe Rogan puts out three, three hour shows a week. Can you believe it? Can you imagine sitting down and putting out three, three hour shows a week? That's a lot of content. And, and I go, at first I go, yeah. And then I go, wait a minute. Listen, two, four, six, eight, two. Wait a minute. The Wake Up America show, my show, this show you're watching, two, four, six, eight, ten. So ten hours is my show of of content. Plus I cut the audio version, right? Because it's not is video plus audio. So I put a ten hours of content. So three shows, three three hours a week, three six. So Joe Rogan puts out nine hours of content a week. Guess what? I put out more content a week <laughs> than Joe Rogan. And it's not easy, I'll tell you, but I do it because I love liberty and I love entrepreneurism and I love capitalism and I love freedom and I love making friends. Uh, somebody yesterday on Twitter was like, well, I don't like traveling because I don't like people and that's why I don't want to travel and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? Can't relate. Can't relate. I love people. I mean, I love to travel, but more importantly, I really love people. And uh, that's, the, that's the fun thing about this show is that I get to make friends with people like yourself. Do me a favor, click that like button, subscribe to the channel. And while I go to commercial break and go get my lovely guest, Camelia Peterson, to talk about Missouri teachers just can't seem to stay off the OnlyFans. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get back. Click that like and subscribe. Get yourself a bag of coffee while we wait at, the, on, at uh, APForLibertyShop.com. Engaging website to stay in Thursday at 8 a.m. Central Time, and she's here with us now. What's up, CJ? Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! They're like, This is me, this was gonna be my Halloween costume, uh, but I'm not going to uh, go out in like 30 degree temperatures this evening, so we're just we're gonna be lazy. But you know, this is also keeping me warm because it's freaking like 25 degrees in Missouri right now. Where did autumn go? Oh man, I'm reminded this morning of why I'm so thankful that I have a garage at my house because when uh, I pulled my truck in last night, I was like, all right, probably going to be a little cold. When I pulled my truck out this morning, everything was frozen and I was just like, thank God for garages, man, because a lot of mid-Missouri people don't have them and they're like, you know, you sit there and you got 15 minutes until that thing finally starts to defrost, you know? Yep, yep. And I also feel obviously this, I think, is where we are uh, as a country, too. <laughs> Frozen, yes. Well, uh, I don't know. It's got some for some like it hot. I mean, here in Missouri, for example, our public school teachers, they like it hot. Camelia, what's the story? You know, this is something that's been coming out. And I, I told you last night, I was like, I, I don't know what's going on with millennial teachers, like what is happening um, and there are all kinds of things, I suppose, that we could tie this to policy-wise. But the truth is, in Missouri, um, you know, about a month or so ago, there was a story that came out about a teacher who had an OnlyFans account and was suspended. And, of course, all of the backlash was, like, teachers don't get paid enough. They're forced to do this to supplement their income, so on and so forth. 
you know, argument about whether or what people can do in their private lives versus, and I am fully on the side of the school here because I think that what you do in your private life, it depends on what, you know, it actually impacts your ability to effectively teach students. Well, there wasn't just one. So here a week or so ago, uh, another one came out from the same school. So I think we have Houston, I think we have a problem. So same thing has an OnlyFans account. Now she, you know, after everything that was going on and she and this other lady are, are friends. Um, she, I think had a student who slipped a note under her door and said, we know your secret. And I think this is this really illustrates why, you know, there are things that you cannot do that. I mean, that affects your ability to teach those students effectively. And so she actually shut her own account down because she was, you know, afraid to do that. But so and I'm like, this is not the only one. So just down the road in St. James, we've also just had a teacher, um, same age range, who has been charged um, because she's been uh, inappropriately behaving with a 16 year old and sending him inappropriate pictures. So she's actually facing criminal charges. But I just, you know, the thing is, is they talk about this from, and a lot of times the comments you'll see online talk about, oh, um, this is because we don't pay teachers enough and they're forced to do these things. And the second teacher was talking about how that she had gotten a master's degree and incurred 125 grand in debt and I'm sorry, I like, I'm first of all, number one, I'm not sure why you need a master's degree to go teach high school English. Um, it, and you, you just don't. And second of all, I'm not sure, um, you know, if you want to make enough money to, to pay off that kind of debt, you're going to have to go somewhere besides a small rural school district. You're just not going to get paid that much. And the other teacher had only been there a short time. So we're talking, people were like, oh, they were, weren't making anything. So they were making, uh, one was making around 42 grand a year. The other was making 47 grand a year. Is that fantastic? No. Is it okay? Yeah, kind of, especially for living in Missouri and cost but of teachers, living. But teachers don't get their, teachers don't realize the benefits of their position until after they're teachers. Am I correct? Well, if you're talking about in terms of their schedule, as far as how no, much they work, I'm talking no. about their pensions. I'm talking about the oh, unions. I'm talking sure. about that that teachers always bitch and complain about their pay until after they're teachers, and when they've retired, then all of a sudden it's like, well, it was nice being a teacher. Now I get to live the rest of my life, uh, you know, on the fattened calf. Well, yeah, I, wouldn't we all like to have a pension? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than, you know, social security and there's, there's no guarantee there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, isn't it like, it isn't really a lot of this stuff with these Missouri teachers, especially here where, when, when it comes to like getting on OnlyFans, it really is just all a lack of foresight we don't make enough money. The argument there is, okay, well, you may not make enough money now. One is your only option going on OnlyFans. And two, what's it going to be like when you retire? You're going to be sitting pretty. Sure. And the thing is, is like, you, there's obviously not, I mean, as you say, there's not foresight that goes into that. So, I mean, if they really were being um, smart about things, I hope they certainly, I certainly hope they've been investing all of the money they've been making off of it because it will be temporary. Uh, nobody stays in a field like that for a long time. But I just think this comes back to, um, you know, this, this notion that 
the system I think is starting to fall apart and we're seeing it in a lot of different ways. Like it's just, it's not just in, you know, the fact that our kids are getting failing grades in the public school system. Um, they're not reading, they're not being able to do math, but it's, I mean, it's, and it's not just that we've got these things like DEI and CRT coming into schools. It's all of these different things. And I think we're seeing it not only in terms of actual curriculum and how we're teaching it, but we're also seeing it in terms of cultural and principles and morals and values. And people can argue what they want about that. But if we are going to be a, um, a divided country in terms of moral outlook and our values and principles, then we sure better give parents the option to walk away because we are locked into a socialist government education system where we have made it so that only um, wealthy people or people who have good support systems and sacrifice many other things can walk away from that system. And so you've got a bunch of kids in the school system who are uh, subject to you know, teachers who come in and behave in such a way. And a lot of times schools' hands are tied legally for what that they can, can do to them, whereas a private school would not be held to those same uh, standards. You know, they, they have a little more latitude in what they can do. So it just, I think it's another illustration of why the government has yet again failed at uh, running anything well. <laughs> and we just see it manifest itself in a lot of different ways. It's not just great. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Glad and thankful to have you here. Happy Halloween. Joining us right now, live for her regular Tuesday, Thursday uh, segment, is the lovely Camelia Peterson, who's joining us here. She's a fellow Missourian. We're talking about Missouri, another Missouri teacher who was caught going on OnlyFans.com. Womp womp. And I guess I'd like to talk about that bigger picture for just a moment before I move on. Did you read the other article that I had left in the uh, the rundown there as well, talking about being a geriatric millennial? We'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah. But, but somebody, I can't remember who it was, tweeted at us. Maybe it was Chris Spangle or someone else tweeted at us last night on this topic when I knew that they were going to have you on. But just that we don't, we haven't really considered like the, the societal implications of all of these women doing what they're doing and displaying themselves openly to people. John Miltimore. Was it John Miltimore? Yeah. Yes. Right. And I'm not a prude. I'm not a social conservative. That doesn't mean that I don't think that there can't be negative consequences of liberty. Certainly there, you know, you could look at the the, the shooting in Maine, for example, and say, look, you know, people have rights and you can't take their guns away just because you say they're crazy, perhaps. But that means that there are consequences to our liberties. But do you think that there are consequences to this behavior that women are engaging in in the internet? Sure. I, I yeah, we I mean we societal have ones. Sure. We we've told, you know, women for so long that they can have it all and that they and I just watched a little clip um it was a woman speaking about this just last night and she was talking about how that we've set women up, you know, in this way um through feminism and the way we we have and treated them culturally now and that they can do anything and they're not, but they're not responsible. They're not accountable for the consequences of their actions. So, you know, you can, you can go and you can, you know, flaunt your body online and you can, you know, post all, you can have all the social media accounts and they, we basically gaslight, you know, people into saying that like, you can't, you can't say anything bad about that because all of a sudden, oh, you're 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 against women. You're trying to keep women down, and so for sure, I think that we are seeing 
Um, I think we see this. I mean, this is, I think, what we see coming out in the education system with the values that teachers bring with them. And yes, do people are people's personal lives separate from their professional lives? Of course, and they and they should be. But you know, not everything is black and white. There are gray areas, and their parents want to know what is the character of somebody who is a formative figure in my child's life. And we talk about the impact that teachers have on their students. We all have that teacher who, you know, was formative in the development of our character and our education, and that hasn't changed. So it's right for parents to be concerned about who has access to their teacher for hours a day, weeks, you know, like of the year. And so, and what their values are. Completely agree. Uh, also, we got to say happy birthday to Matt Unruh. Just joined us there in the feed. I would give you a gift, but Matt, I've already given you an AK-47, brother. It's uh, going to be a while till we get you something else, but happy birthday to happy Matt Happy birthday, Unruh. Matt. Yeah, it, it's been fun making so many friends here over the course of the, the last year here on the Wake Up America show. As a matter of fact, one of the people that you met during my radio show days, Jamie Marie Pope ended up being one of your best friends. Uh, yes. a lot, all the, it, we've got all of these new people here that have joined <laughs> us since we started doing the podcast, Camellia, but it really has been an, a, an exciting, you know, I guess, year to three years if you count the radio. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, there's, I come across people all the time in just in Missouri that will, that's how they know me. Like I, you know, meet them in, you know, in my other line of work in grassroots engagement and things, but, but where they know me is a lot of times from either the radio show or now from uh, this show. And I think that people uh, enjoy that because this is different. It's it's a mix of serious things. And we talk about issues like this and we don't, you know, you know, <laughs> you know me, like I have griped plenty about like, oh my gosh, what topic is he wanting to talk about now? <laughs> <laughs> make so, Camelia blush. Lord, make me talk about these things. And, you know, I just want to talk about the nerdy stuff. But the thing is, is I think we talk about these things in different ways anywhere else. We're not coming, uh, you know, up with these topics and talking about this news just because it's sensational or, you know, we want to like just for clickbait or anything. I think we talk about these things because they have a very real impact on us as a society. Mm -hmm. And it's important to talk about like why, why we are where we are. What, what can we do about that? Not only just from a philosophical, cultural perspective, but also, you know, from a policy perspective and what we allow the government to do. I mm -hmm. kind of like to blame the government for almost everything, but you know. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But it can't be all gloom and doom and deep state no. and all that. Exactly. So, you know, because and there's plenty of networks out there that if you if you, you can tune into, if you always want to get the doom scrolling and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. speaking of, I'm actually going to be on InfoWars tomorrow. Apparently my uh <laughs> Apparently, my Israeli uh, uh, the topic that I've been ch chatting about online has gained the attention of them over there. So I'll be on their morning show tomorrow morning at 1030 Central. So that should be interesting. That'll um, be interesting. But, uh, but let's since we, we were talking about Matt Unruh, happy birthday to Matt Unruh and all of our friends who are part of the Wake Up America show. I guess we can briefly segue real quick before I bring it back to this topic that I that dropped there yesterday about being a geriatric millennial and trying to stay hip and with it. I should have <laughs> worn one of my fun neon shirts now, obviously if you're new here you see all the halloween decorations on the wake up america show like the bats flying around and the pumpkins but the normal the normal sort of wake up america show theme is synthwave which is yeah. a style of music and a style of art uh and that's kind of that's what the theme of my um my merchandise shop is that's what the theme of the show is 
And it's because it's all big, a big throwback to the 1980s, which is when I was a kid and I love it and I think it's fun. Um, and it, I don't know, makes me feel young again and reminds me, you know, it has nostalgic vibes. It, and I just really enjoy the fact that young people are actually enjoying what I liked when I was a kid, right? So I really enjoyed this article from BuzzFeed where, well, I can't believe I just said that, and the New York Times, where <laughs> well, I can't believe I said that either, where this woman was talking about like how she sort of like, she dresses how she was when she was young. And there's all this pressure to like conform to, well, you need to act your age, you need to dress your age. But like, just like her, I agree with her. I don't give a rip. Like I'm having fun and I'm living my life. I'm 42 years old, but like, I don't care if people make fun of me. Most people, when I walk around, like when I go to the last pint, last flight brewery and stuff like that on Friday nights, I'm usually wearing one of my weird, wild 80 shirts. And everybody's like, that shirt is awesome, man. I get people who stop me specifically and say, where did you get that shirt? So, I mean, I, there's this, we have this cooked up in our mind, I think sometimes yeah. that like people are always judging us. But even if they are, well, turn a phrase, fuck them. <laughs> right? So, I, yeah, you know, my, the thing I like to say is that age is a social construct. And, you know, I'm, I'm with <laughs> Twain. You know, if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And, hey, I don't mind. <laughs> and I really do think your outlook depends so much on how people perceive you. Um, you know, people assume that I'm younger than I am all the time. And I'm not so much, not so sure that it's so much how I look as how I act. Um, and like, that doesn't mean I act immature all the time, but, <laughs> but I do think for sure, I like, it doesn't matter. And I think every generation has something that, you know, they want to push the envelope and they want to be themselves and it's their thing, but it does kind of feel like, um, Gen X even and millennial were like, we just don't like, we don't care. Right. You know, we're just going to do our thing and be ourselves and, um, you know, do what you want. And there were some comments um, that like confirmed my bias <laughs> in that respect, you know, to that article. I was like, you know, young Gen X here, you're as young as you believe you are, you know, do you? I mean, it's like, it's basically a lot of, you know, you do you. And if you want to, you know, I saw there's a an Instagram account of an older lady. She's like 60 years old who does a lot of fitness stuff. But she also, she kind of falls into this category because she posted pictures the other day. She was going to a, a silent disco. And so she had on like this jumpsuit, this totally, you know, kind of psychedelic and everything. And she gets people that criticize her for saying, oh, you should dress your age and act your age. And like, what does that even mean? I guarantee you as a person, she is a joy to be around because she has that youthful spirit in here as, you know, as old blue eyes talked about, you know, being young at heart. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Being young at heart. Okay. Uh, Camelia, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before I let you go? Uh, no, I would just say that, um, you know, we've talked about before, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world right now. There's a lot of heavy topics like we're, we're talking about like, what is wrong with people and millennial teachers and, <laughs> and all of the war that goes on in the world. But I think you mentioned earlier that we are, live in probably, you know, a time period that is more peaceful than than any other. It's just that we know about everything that goes on right now. So I think it's really important that we keep that perspective and that we focus on the good and the beautiful because it's out there and um, we should see people for, for who they are and not you know, not lump them into a category, individual. There it is, the good and the beautiful. Every 8 a.m. here on the Wake Up America show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Camelia Peterson, personified. Thank you very much for your time today, CJ. We look forward to seeing you again. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much. That's Camelia Peterson. What do you think of CJ? Let's give a round of applause. What do you say? 
If you like CJ's content, click that like button and subscribe to the channel. Come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time here on the Wake Up America show. Nice to see three little birds on my doorstep over on Rumble. He says doom and gloom is what the elite want us to be feeling, but we're not going to let them do that to us. Why? We're going to have Courtney Nill joining us here for the very first time on the show today. Do you know Courtney? Nil. No, you don't know Courtney Nil. It's her very first time on the show. We'll be excited to have Courtney. She's a young conservatarian lady. She wrote a tweet yesterday. And you know what? This whole segment is going to be based around her tweet. She says she feels bad for conservative men. She says, I feel bad for conservative men. At least conservative girls, we can usually throw a rock and hit at least like one guy who likes guns or Joe Rogan or something like that. But if you're a conservative man and you're trying to find a conservative woman these days, you're, well, Molly, you in danger, girl. Movie ghost. Whoopi Goldberg, ghost. Molly, you in danger, girl. Orlando, you like it? It's autumn sunrise. We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Do not now, nor will I ever, condemn Hamas. I unequivocally support the liberation movements of all oppressed people around the world by any means made necessary. If you have a problem with that, take it up with somebody else because I don't. I do not now, nor will I ever condemn Hamas. I unequivocally support the liberation movements of all oppressed people around the world by any means made necessary. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Do me a favor, click that like button and subscribe to the channel. Happy Halloween, by the way. I know somebody's like Matt uh, and Robin Unruh sent me a message and they're like, Austin, how come you're not wearing anything wacky for Halloween? I forgot. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. This Israel Hamas conflict, all this stuff. I've got to do so much reading and it, I just everything else has gone by the wayside because in order for me to be accurate and bring you the news reports the best I can, I don't have a news team. And so some other things have kind of fallen off. I haven't necessarily been able to give you all the fun stuff that I would normally give. I had a whole plan to wear a costume today, but it just fell apart because I was preoccupied. Sorry about that. Today is going to be a great day anyway. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween. Do us a favor, click the like button and subscribe to the channel. Come back and join us here every Monday through Friday here at rumble.com slash AP for Liberty. And when you do, you join us every uh, Monday through Friday, 7 to 9, then you get all the economic freedom and personal liberty that you can handle. It's a great show, great way to start your day. Of course, it's a great way to make friends as well. And no sacred cows on the Wake Up America show. We skewer politicians on both sides. Everybody is up for criticism here. So if you think that you can come in here and you can hold on to any sacred cows that you got, you're going to have to leave them at the door because we kill sacred cows in here. So if you need, if you have a sacred cow, you got to be willing to come into the theater, watch the Wake Up America show, and realize that absolutely everything and everyone, every religion, every politician, every pope, every priest, every imam, every every rabbi, every single person is going to be up for critical analysis. That way we can stay objective, at least as objective as possible. What is that? Um, 
that quote from Thomas Paine, I like to say, where he who dares not offend cannot be honest. Got to say, I completely agree. We love us some Thomas Paine. What do you think of that weird chick with the nose ring there where she says she unequivocally supports Hamas and uh, the liberation of all oppressed people around the globe by whatever means necessary? I get whatever means necessary. Well, Hamas certainly has engaged in that with the slaughter of children, with the taking of uh, kidnapping of uh, Holocaust survivors and torturing of them. Uh, these are the kind of women that modern conservatives are going to have to date. Well, let's take a look at her just one more time and take a listen. For those of you, for you single gentlemen out there, these are the type of women that you get to date these days. Are you excited about this? I think you guys should be. Do not be really now, nor will I ever condemn Hamas. I unequivocally support the liberation movements of all oppressed people around the world by any means made necessary. Oh, geez. Any means made necessary. All right. Well, there you go, gentlemen. What do you think? Would you take her out for a date? I mean, so like, what would you rate her on a scale of one to 10, right? You're a conservative guy. You're a libertarian guy, right? You want to go out on a date? How about this, this next lady here? Are you guys looking forward to this? Maybe this, this next woman that you could, uh, that you could take out for a date. I'm sure she'd be a real good time as well. Take a look and a listen to her. There you go, guys. Where are you going to take her on your first date? Has she changed your mind yet, guys? Are you guys looking for? Are you excited about taking her out on a date? Mm. So if you had to have a pickup line to pick up this chick right here, if you were going to ask her out on a date, guys, what would be your pickup line? I'm just curious. Send me text with your pickup lines, your best pickup lines at 573-319-1586. All right, give me one minute. I'm going to go get Courtney Nill, who says conservative men. She feels bad for them. I'm going to go uh, get her. I'll be right back. Courtney, thank you for joining us. Hi, Austin. Thanks for having me on this morning. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So uh, decode this tweet. What are you trying to say here? So what I'm seeing, at least in the friends that I have that are out dating right now, um, men really have it rough. We already know that there are more conservative men than there are women. And that ultimately, you know, leads to the dating pool being skewed that direction as well. So... That makes sense. I'm hearing that as well. Uh, but you say that at least like at least if it's tougher for if it's tough for everybody, it's, it's harder for the conservative guys. But it's if you're a woman, there are conservative men. Right. So, I mean, there are some options available to the ladies. Yeah, I think there definitely are. 
Um, most of my girlfriends, you know, it's one thing to find someone that you really connect with that you, you know, mesh with their personality, but just finding someone that matches your values, um, at least when it comes to politics, I think for women is much easier if you are a conservative, um, just because, there are a lot of men that I think just naturally gravitate towards more conservative values. Um, when it comes to guns, I mean, you've had, you know, even if you just look at the last hundred years, men normally had more training with guns since they are going to be part of the U.S. military. Um, they're going to be serving and women, you know, being able to even use guns is, you know, more of a modern thing. And you just don't see that prevalence even today when we are, you know, maybe so feminist and things, we still don't really see that translated in terms of firearms. So Courtney, so talk to us then about the main thrust of this tweet here. The challenges that men face in regards to dating. I mean, I want to say, what's wrong with y'all? <laughs> but in a respectful way, I'm not quite sure. But I mean, I don't know how else to phrase it. So what's wrong with y'all? Not you specifically, the royal you. Yeah, um, well, I think a lot of women don't pay enough attention to politics to truly understand what's going on. I think that you know, the vast majority of people aren't really paying all that much attention. They're going to read some headlines. You know, they're going to look at the people around them who they're supporting. I think that the DNC has done a better job with messaging when it comes to women and women's issues. Um, I personally am pro-life, but I know that the, um, you know, pro-choice movement has definitely captured a lot of women because it seems like it's being kind to women when if you're pro a pro-life, then you are going to know that you know, ultimately, that's not better for the person. Um, it seems like you're giving them more options, but that can really lead to a world of hurt if you have decided to go through with an abortion because um, of the hole that, you know, kind of leaves in, in your heart. Do you think that there's any like broader, broader societal reasons for the massive shift where you have so few women with conservative views? Is there, are, is there any like bigger picture take on this, would you say? I think I think there is somewhat like I said I think probably feminism is part of what's going on there. I think that also, you know, now that we're seeing, you know, transgenderism on the rise, um even just having a creative sexuality um and it being, you know, kind of trendy to either be bisexual or asexual and things and I think there's a lot of young women particularly and I think you really see this with Gen Z where normally they might be more prone to um, other types of struggles in the past. You know, we'll see, you know, anorexia, bulimia, and not that those aren't still issues, but with trans transgenderism being such a trendy thing right now, and that's what all their friends are kind of talking about. I think that that can pull women in a very a direction that's very far from conservative values. And you also see the family structure breaking down so much where you don't have people um, in these, you know, you know, mother, father, you know, loving relationships. And I think the farther you break down the family and, you know, move away from them, even having more of a traditional upbringing, they aren't going to really know that way and see the value in that. You're just tuning in to the Wake Up America show. Good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm speaking to Courtney Nill. She's a political analyst from Florida. Uh, is it fair to say you're a conservatarian or conservative? What would you describe yourself as, Courtney? I think so. Uh, online for, for years, you know, I've never been really sure what uh, camp to count myself in. So I normally count myself as conservative libertarian hybrid because there certainly are a couple conservatives within the party. 
um, that I think do represent my values pretty well, but the, there's also quite a few that don't. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely the side of, uh, you know, the Mitt Romneys and, you know, John McCain's of the day, um, things that are leaning a little too far authoritarian. Um, I definitely am a fan of, you know, uh, Ron Paul, you know, when he was, uh, you know, uh, prevalent, you know, years ago. And um, currently Ron DeSantis is kind of my leading guy for uh 2024. There you go, boys. She's uh, she's rare as hen's teeth. Courtney Nell is joining us right now, talking a little bit about conservatives and dating. Um, I frequently see videos, Courtney, uh, that show uh, women who are being asked their standards and preferences when they're choosing a, a mate. And when they're uh, looking at, you know, it's a standard heterosexual relationship. If they're looking at a man, they'll have a lot of very high standards. They'll have a lot of preferences. For example, I saw one uh, study where they were looking at preferences between men and women, and they asked, you know, if someone had 80% of the things that you're looking for in a mate, would you be happy? And the men overwhelmingly said, yes, that's great. She sounds like a catch. And the women were were absolutely unsatisfied. They were not happy with a man who met 80% of their standards and needs. But I, I, I'd like to to use that as a as a reason to ask you this. Do you think that men are shamed for having preferences and not just having preferences, but in having actual standards when it comes to women? Are they shamed for having standards? I would say that. I think, I don't know, the, the modern dating world is is kind of interesting. I think that there certainly is a push to accept people however they are. Um, which, you know, maybe that, that's, that's some, it's pushing into an area that you don't agree with. I think that in most relationships, um, you know, there are always are going to be a couple things that maybe, you know, the other person does that are going to get on your nerves, um, and, you know, a couple, you know, things that you can agree to disagree on. But I think having those core values is what's really important. And so, um, I, th- I think in some ways, yes, I think that, um, you know, people, well, and the, the alternative though, is staying single you know, if men, you know, aren't willing to adjust to some of these things, then they might just have to stay single. And I think that this is one of the biggest things I've seen with conservative men trying to date is, um, you know, if they can't find a conservative women, uh, woman, then they're probably, you know, their best bet is maybe finding one that's, you know, somewhat apolitical, um, someone who maybe just isn't paying a lot of attention who's going on and maybe they can, you know, kind of show her the way and, you know, teach her about, uh, you know, some <laughs> other options that are out there. It's funny that just you saying that makes me laugh because just saying something like that is so politically incorrect, right? As if like, you know, not having an opinion means that you don't have agency as well. But I want to ask you about something else, Courtney. Uh, For those who are just tuning in, don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content you're hearing. I'm speaking to Courtney Nill, who is a political analyst from the state of Florida for her very first time on the show. Let's give her a round of applause in the chat. Why not? She's doing a great job. (laughs) Uh, Courtney, I'd like to ask you about something else that's similar. This is a phenomenon that we see going on. I have a friend who is actually doing this, and I actually do recommend it to some of my guy friends who are having trouble uh, finding a good traditional woman who will meet their needs as a man, meet their preferences as a man, and meet their standards as a man. Because I do think men in the United States, uh, in the Western world, perhaps even more largely, are shamed for having standards and preferences but that shoe don't walk on the other foot. And so what I say to them is I typically say, get your passport and go looking overseas because not everybody in the Western, not everybody in the world has these same kinds of progressive feminized values. Uh, and you might be able to find yourself uh, a date or a mate 
that actually will work with you and as a copacetic relationship, because I see so many relationships in the modern world, and I've had them in the past, and thank God I'm married and I found my perfect mate who I love more than anything. But so many of my relationships were not copacetic. We didn't work together. It was more competitive and it was more me, me, me versus us, 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 right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a symbiosis. So I tell my boys, like, go overseas, right? Get a passport, you know, try a dating website that's not in the United States. You might have better luck. But a lot of women look down on that. They say that they're taking advantage of these women in the third world who don't have agency because they're uneducated and they're being uh, manipulated by these uh, Western men. What's your take on the whole passport bro situation? So it's definitely not something that would be my first inclination to recommend um, to men that are looking. Um, you know, I've seen some relationships. Um, I've actually had um, a nail tech in the past that um, she had kind of a similar situation. That's how she came to the U.S., um, was from her um, husband kind of bringing her over here. And well, th there's a lot of, you know, kind of cautionary things, you know, with, you know, picking someone because, you know, why are they wanting to come to America? Why are they wanting to be with you? Um, you know, a lot of times it's going to be for material wealth um, and a better way of life. Now, can you build a good marriage on that? Perhaps. But I would certainly give word of caution um, to men that are looking to do that. And what I would say, if you're having trouble looking, um, you know, maybe look inward, maybe look towards, you know, small town America a little bit more, um, you know, maybe consider, you know, dating a girl who's out of state, find someone that matches your values, find someone that, you know, believes in the same way of life, life that you do. And then, you know, moving, you, you know, moving her, you know, a couple states, you know, over or, you know, being flexible with her schedule. I think that that actually might be a better option for um, some guys that are looking rather than looking completely abroad. I mean, if you end up finding someone abroad, um, you know, that's great. However you find the person that you're meant to be with, you know, you know, kudos to you. But I don't think that that is really a solution to what we have in modern day dating, because the fact is, we aren't as many as the men are, but there are a lot of conservative women that are looking and they're looking for guys that, you know, have strong, you know, masculine values. Um, they want to take care of a family, you know, they care. And I think that women in general should adjust their expectations somewhat. You know, um, oh, that's, I think that's, whew, that's spicy that you've said it so politely and kindly, but that's, those are the kind of takes that get you attacked on the fresh and fit podcast these days. I just, uh, you know, uh, some people find this uh, POV that I have distasteful. Have you ever heard of the women of Lisa Strada or the uh, the story of the, the Greek tale of the women who they were tired of their men going to war and warring with one another? So they withheld sex in order to, you know, pr get their men to prevent war. I've actually advocated for a, a sort of reverse women of Lisa Strada. But instead of men withholding sex from women, withholding their protection from women, mm -hmm. meaning our physical protection. Now, remember, Courtney, like you, as you've identified in your original tweet that caused this this um, this podcast, this segment, you know, men don't have many options out there. They're not all out there like you. You're the unicorn out there in the mix, and I think you probably understand and recognize that, right? And so, knowing that that if men want to take back the power in, in relationships and not be a sub, not be subservient, not be seen as a lesser, not the stupid husband who can't get anything right. At the with the vacuum cleaner and, not, and if men really want to you know restore their own agency in the Western world, then removing the cloak of security and protection from females 
is probably the fastest way to get them to change their minds and to lose that progressive tint, which is anathema to conservative men like myself, libertarian men like myself, and and men out there who hold the kinds of ideals and views that we have. Because frequently when you see an act of violence directed towards a woman uh, online, there will be a host of people out there white knighting saying, why didn't the man step in? Why didn't the man step in? But then alternatively, you'll see men who do step in are frequently prosecuted. Like, for example, in New York City, uh, a man who was trying to protect fellow subway passengers, for example, from a violent passenger and who accidentally choked him to death is now being uh, uh, punished for manslaughter. I mean, these seem like drastic tactics, but for so long we sort of, and we still sort of operate on a women and children first mentality as if we're all living on the Titanic, right? And if we're going to go overboard, we need to protect the women and children. But I guess what I'm really getting at here is there seems to be a sort of a male disposability, Courtney, that frankly, I find myself becoming more and more intolerant of. And I wonder if you agree with me that society at large does see women, or excuse me, men as disposable from the conservative side, sending us to war to die. And on the progressive side as, you know, wanting to cut off our wing wangs and hoo-hahs and put us in the female sports. Yeah, the way that gender roles are going in this culture certainly is interesting. Um, as for, you know, women or men not protecting women and having that role quite as much, um, you know, in relationships or even just in general, I think we kind of have already seen it a little bit. Um, you know, if someone, you know, attacks a woman in the street today, maybe someone will react. Um, versus, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, I think you also see it in dating relationships where, you know, men don't really have the sense of, you know, protecting women. Um, you know, traditionally, you know, if you're going on a date with somebody, you know, he would come and pick you up and, you know, take you out. And there are still men that will do that. That's, you know, the kind that, you know, I normally find myself with, um, that are willing to have that role, but there are, unfortunately, um, you know, that's just not, not the way of the world. Now everyone wants to be independent. They want to be their own person and they aren't really willing to, women aren't willing to give up that security. And I think that it does sometimes come from a place of it being part of the culture, what, you know, they're seeing in front of them. Um, I don't know. I I don't really blame a lot of individual women, um, you know, for what's going on. And I don't blame men men either. I think it's more of a society problem um, that has led us to where that we are. I think rather than men pulling back, I think them, you know, being strong with them having a hand, you know, saying like, look, you know, I will take care of things. And unfortunately, war can actually really be, you know, something that changes cultures, changes nations. And I certainly hope we don't enter into, you know, any kind of World War Three situation or, you know, anything that's, you know, even more minor than that. But, you know, we've seen online in the last, you know, couple of weeks with everything popping off over in the Middle East that, you know, there's a lot of women saying, oh, wait, now I'm actually seeing that war could be, you know, on the precipice. You know, I don't want to be drafted. I don't want to go into the military. You know, let me rely on men in a way that I hadn't been before. It's good stuff, Courtney, Neil, and you're doing a great job on your very first appearance with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we let you go today? Um, well, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, certainly been a pleasure. Um, you know, as we come into primary season, you know, I would just encourage people to, you know, really look into the candidates that are running, whether that be, you know, locally um, or on the national scale, because truly it takes all of the roles, um, having good people in them. And, 
I, I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of polls that can say, you know, one thing or another, you know, stick to your guts, pick the person that you yourself do some research on your own and find the person that's going to represent you well. And, um, you know, 2024 is on its way. So I, I look forward to that and the changes that are to come. Well, great job, Courtney. And uh, thank you for being so generous with your time today. We hope you'll come back and join us again on the show. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You can follow Courtney Nill over on Twitter right there. You can see how to spell her name right underneath her lovely visage. K-N-I-L-L. Courtney Nill over at Twitter. Thanks very much for her time. Did you like Courtney? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. You can, again, text the show at 573 573- 319-1586. This is your twice-a-day reminder to visit APforLibertyShop.com. If you love the Wake Up America show and you want to support the Wake Up America show, well, you got to get yourself some delicious founding flavors coffee over at APforLibertyShop.com. It's so good that it's scary. And you can only get it at one place on the planet, and that is at my exclusive merchandise shop. So put your cold, dying hand up and grab yourself a bag at apforlibertyshop.com. It's absolutely delicious. It's the best coffee in the world, and I bring it to you. It's a premium coffee brand for people who love coffee. You can get it exclusively at apforlibertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, apforlibertyshop.com. Don't forget to click that like button too. Subscribe to the channel. The, the Wake Up America show streams live every Monday through Friday from 7 a.m., to 9 a.m. Central Time. Andy Opperman says, AP only lets beautiful people be guests. Very funny. Uh, Matt Unruh says, happy birthday. She was good. There you go. She is a thicky for sure, says TMCLI. Very funny. Besides, you can't blame society. Pathetic boomers started this crap. Are you serious? Boomers? Gonna make all my boomer friends who are tuning in mad. They always, whenever anybody makes fun of boomers, we get angry letters. So please take it easy. Quest Fanning says, looks like I'm already following her. Is she a pilot? Question mark. I think she is. Courtney Nill. Someone else said they enjoyed Courtney. Sign of Jonah says, Miss Nill did very well. Excellent. Barney Styles, men, say this to your wife early. Things can be your way, done your way, or I can do it. Okay, well, good to know. Uh, prisoners of love, blue skies above. Can't keep our hearts in jail, says Luke Sacker. There you go. Go to the guard. Who are you to see? Say, just give me anyone. Uh, no, listeners, are you texting in today? Do we have any more texts? Not sure if you've seen Chirac, a modern musical adaptation to Lisa Strada. Nick Cannon did very well, in my humble opinion. Well, thanks for the text, sir. I have not seen Chirac, but you can text the show at 573-319-1586. Again, text the show at 573-319-1586. I just want to say to all of you who, um, who have disagreed with me on this program, not just today, but maybe you've disagreed with me as well on Twitter. I would like to say thank you. Not, I won't say necessarily to my haters, right? Because I think that's something else. If you're just a hater that's a separate category. But I'd like to talk very briefly about, and in our uh, remaining time, I'd like to talk very briefly about the people who disagree with me and who are still here right now, who are still listening. Even if you're listening to the podcast later and you found yourself getting, especially if you found yourself getting angry with what I've had to say on the show, either today or at, at, at other times, I actually, I want to say thank you to you. And here's why. If you're still listening to my voice, even after you have disagreed with me, uh, I honestly, I want to give you a round of applause. I think that you are 
I think that you are a very special person. And the reason why is because most people these days cannot tolerate disagreement. One listener actually who was texting with me a little bit earlier said that uh, they were telling me that they went to go listen to David Knight's show uh, this morning. And, and that's fine. He said he asked if he could come on as a guest. And he was sort of disagreeing with me on the, the foreign policy issue earlier, saying that the founding fathers would smack you for your position on that. And I responded back, well, Thomas Jefferson sent the U.S. Navy to kill Islamic terrorists. I think Thomas Jefferson would be proud of me for my position on the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, but then he said, you know, great guest. He enjoyed having Tony Schaefer on the show earlier. And he said, and I said, you know, glad to have you join us. Uh, and I appreciate that he was texting me, right? Even though he was disagreeing with me vehemently. And he says, even though I disagree with you, LOL, he says, thanks for responses. I don't have social media accounts, hence why I don't use the chat. And I said, I don't mind being contradicted, only disrespected. Uh, and that really is the difference. You can contradict me all day long, disagree with me all day long. But if you're hateful, right, or disrespectful, then I place you in the camp of haters. But if you're brave enough, strong enough to listen to points of view that you don't agree with and to still stick around after the fact, well, I got to say, bravo to you, because that takes barely guts. It didn't used to be that way, but it's because of the way that the decentralized nature of the Internet now, everybody can, can go to an echo chamber and you can only hear things that are pleasing to the ear and that never contradict anything that you already believe. And that way you always confirm your biases and no one learns anything and everything. And that's how the world has gotten more terrifying. So on Halloween night, I, I invite you to do something terrifying. I invite you to do something on Halloween that will absolutely scare the crap out of most people. And that is to listen to and consider thoughts and ideas that you don't agree with. Sometimes you might be surprised. You might find out the most painful thing of all, the most torturous thing of all, is to find out that you might be wrong. That is painful. That is torture. But take heart and take knowledge and solace as we start to get into the holiday season. Take the warmth of the season and consider that you've learned something if you realize that you're wrong. And isn't learning something a wonderful thing? The one thing, the, uh, the one trait in common, I, t I posted this on Twitter the other day, the one thing in common that I've noticed amongst people who are successful is that they are always learning. They are always learning and they're changing their opinions, their views on things based on new information. I was listening to Christopher Hitchens yesterday, which I've been doing much more since you know, the conflict with the Islamic world has heated up. And he talks about how his views changed over the, the course of his career. He initially was a Marxist, and then for a time he was a neocon. And then for perhaps the last two or three years of his life, he really started to come around to become more classically liberal in a way. And I, I thought I admired that, that someone had the, the, the guts and the intellectual fortitude to read things that dis they disagreed with to absorb them and to find the flaws in their own ideology and philosophy and to change their mind. It's happening to me. I'm still learning. I'm still studying. Because in order to be successful, I know that I can't stand still. I have to change. I have to learn. I have to move. I have to get exercise. I have to exercise my brain the same way that I exercise my body. Thank you for being a part of the Wake Up America show this morning. If you've been a live viewer this morning, if you've watched the whole thing, wow, you're amazing. If you've listened to the whole show, 
I appreciate you. There, there's only probably maybe like 50, 60, maybe 100 people who are the hardcore hardcores who like listen to the show all the way. And I'm getting ready to conduct a survey to ask you guys what it is you like, what you don't like about the show. That's going to be coming out here really soon. But if you're like part of like my 100 or like, you know, the Spartan, let's say there's 300 of you. There's 300 Sparta. Ah, uh, we are Sparta. This is Sparta. I just want to say thanks, right? Many of you are monthly supporters, subscribers. You're hardcore of hardcores. You know, I'm not super rich and famous and all that. So the 300, it's all I need to take on the enemies of Persia. Of course, they did lose that battle ultimately. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. And if you're new here today, don't forget to subscribe before you leave so we can see you again tomorrow as we want to see you every Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Expansive time.